Good morning, everyone. So let's see. There are a couple people who were not here last week. I just wanted to introduce myself. I'm Josh, and I'm doing this uh, project where I have to work through the book of Ruth for school and um, translate it, write a little exegetical commentary, and teach eight lessons on it. So I'm thankful to be allowed to teach here um, for my school project. Um, So that's kind of what we're doing. Um, So last week, we had gone through the first five verses of Ruth, and we saw this family traveling to Moab, and um, the death of a man and two sons of Naomi, her husband and two sons. And we explored the uh, the idea of, of this exodus that they made into exodus, exodus they made into Moab. Am I, am I, is my volume uh, bad? To move it up. How's that? I could project. <laughs> yeah. And by the way, as we go through this, um, I'm going to ask for, you know, for some interaction and questions. And if you're in the back and you cannot hear, you can just go ahead and say, what was that, or, or raise your hand, and I can repeat it for you if I forget to do that. But I'm going to try my best to remember uh, to repeat those things. Um, so let's, let's go to Lord in prayer as we begin this lesson. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us your word, and we pray that you would feed us from it, as we know you will. And we pray that as we read through Ruth, you would bless us from the message here, that you would make yourself known to us in Christ, and that we would go out having um, heard your word, and, and may you impress it upon our minds so that we may meditate on it. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'd like to start just by reading the text of Ruth here that we're going to be going through. So it's it's Ruth chapter 1, verses 6 through, well, the end of the chapter, 22. And so, yeah, last week we went through verse 5, and we saw this family traveling to Moab, making, I, I think I mentioned, it was kind of like a backwards exodus, traveling from a blessed land to a cursed land that they had made. And then we see the results of that are, are from going and finding fullness in food in Moab, leaving the empty stomach of Bethlehem. The family ends up losing their fullness. Naomi loses her husband and her two sons. And she's left uh, in verse 6 here as we start with hearing of the Lord visiting his people. Um, she's left a widow, destitute, and she hears this, that the Lord had visited his people. So let's read, starting in verse 6. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law and went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. 
And they said to her, No, we will not return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait until they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth says, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you will go, I will go. And where you will lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? She said to them, Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. So as we come to this section in the book of Ruth, there are several things that I think we would like to consider here. And they all have to do with responses. God's working in the book of Ruth. And as we go through, we see hints that he is at work behind all of these things taking place. You see him visiting Israel and giving them food. Um, and And... And in chapter 2, it just keeps progressing, that Ruth just happens to come to the field of Boaz. And God's hand is definitely seen working behind these things. So as we come to this, let's consider God's providence. Um, I mean, here's here's something to think about. Everybody knows that the hymn, It Is Well With My Soul, I, I think, and maybe the story behind that hymn, how... Um, Horatio Spafford had a wife and four daughters who went, they were going on a trip to Europe. The family uh, was about to set up and Spafford got delayed because of business. The The crossing, uh, the the wife and four daughters went out on the ship and, and the ship got hit by another ship and it sunk and they lost their four daughters. And so he wrote that song supposedly as they passed over the spot where the ship went down. But you may all know that part of the story. I don't know if you know what was said about his wife and her comment. Um, She said, God gave me four daughters. Now they have been taken from me. Someday I will understand why. And as we consider the responses of Ruth and of Naomi and of Yahweh, we consider what it means for us to be in this world under God's kingly care, the Lord Jesus Christ reigning on the throne at the right hand of the Father, and He cares for us. 
and yet we go through things that we don't, we can't comprehend. And so let's look at these responses, starting with Ruth. So remember the marker in verse one of of, of um, Ruth here. It it happened when. What what's the significance of in the time of the judges? No king. No king and what was the result of having no king? As Judges twenty one twenty five says. Yeah. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. So the lawless behavior was correlated to there being no king in Israel. And as we go through this, we'll see that this idea of a king in Israel is picked up right there in verse 2 now. If you remember what the name Elimelech means. Does anyone remember that? Elimelech. Elimelech. God is king or my God is king. And we see, and I mentioned it last week, this guy Elimelech. My God is king going into the land of Moab, which was not something an Israelite should have done. And ruling in a way by himself, taking taking it upon himself to feed himself, to care for himself, and leaving the fatherly discipline of God, who was bringing a famine on the land for a purpose, which was to draw his people back to him in repentance. So the book opens up with the idea of of kingship. There was no king in Israel. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. And there's, there's a, this is a problem. And the book of Ruth ends in chapter 4 with the name David. So through the book, we're looking for a resolution to this problem. So as we consider this, um, where were Naomi and Ruth heading from now? Moab. And Naomi and, and her daughters-in-law, they arose and they set out from the place where they were. So in chapter se- in verse 7, sorry. To return to the land of Judah. And then we have this, this argument that Naomi gives her daughters-in-law. Telling them, no, don't come with me. It's hopeless for you in Judah. You have a chance here. Go find rest in the house of your husband. Uh, Ruth and Orpah, had they gone to Judah, would have, should have been shunned. The law forbade Israelites from marrying foreign wives, and their prospects would not have been as good as staying in Moab, at least temporally, right? Um, can someone list off for me what it might have looked like for a widow in Israel, uh, for the widows, Ruth and Orpah in Israel. Name some things they might have experienced. So barrenness without husbands. No property, no children, no heritage, no means of support. 
they would, would have been scratching out a meager existence in the fields of, of Israel, although they would have been scratching out an existence because God did provide for the sojourner um, in the gleanings, the laws that provided for the gleanings. But So Orpah, Orpah sees this argument of Naomi, <coughs> and and she she says, you know, I really don't want to go. Basically, I'm, this is Josh's loose paraphrase. You know, I really don't want to go, but I see your point. I can go back to Moab. I can get a husband. I can have children. I can have food. I can have a place. And so she leaves. And this is what Naomi is telling her to do. Now, we're going to talk about what the idea of rest means um, when we come to considering Naomi's response. But Ruth, what is Ruth's response? Does she... Kiss Naomi goodbye. We see that she clings to Naomi. So Ruth responds differently than Orpah. Now, was Ruth making the smartest career choice here? Eh. <laughs> Depends on what you're talking about, I guess. Um, as far as temporal, earthly, uh, human thinking, yeah. She was. But let's look at, at this, what Ruth does here. So Naomi says, Go back to your mother's house. <clears throat> May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. And then she makes this argument. I'm too old to have a husband. I can't have sons for you to marry. Referring to the the leveret, I think that's how you pronounce it, law in uh, in. It's provided that the brother of a deceased man would marry um, that brother's wife to raise up children in his name for an inheritance. And Naomi's saying, there's no, there's no possibility of this ever happening. I'm barren. There's no, no more offspring that can come from me. So leave. Go back. They lifted up their voices and wept again in, in verse 14. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Then what does Ruth say? It's one of the most beautiful speeches maybe in the Bible as far as it grips you and and people quote it and you see it on uh, signs in people's homes. Then they lifted up their voices again and wept again and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law but Ruth clung to her and she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. Naomi really wants her daughters-in-law to return, doesn't she? Um, But Ruth said, <clears throat> Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Where, where you will die, I, or where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said, No more. Now, uh, I've heard it pronounced chiasm or chiasm. Did you have a question? It does sound like the, uh, what is that, the imprecatory, uh, maledictory oath? Or, yeah. yeah. So can you explain what a suzerain treaty is?
Yeah, with the animals sliced in half, and they walk <laughs> walk through and say, "So be done to me if I don't keep my end of the bargain." Yeah. Yeah. It could be, could be. Um, she definitely makes a very strong oath. But uh, does anyone know what a chiasm is? You know, I didn't know until uh, this last year. But you look at an arrowhead and you have a point, and then you kind of have it comes one side goes down to a point, and then the other side comes out. That's the arrowhead. And a chiasm kind of is a way of putting a sentence or a phrase so that you have. It building to the center and then coming back out again. And as you look at what Ruth says here, we have this, this in, and actually the author of Ruth does come some cool stuff that I've seen a little bit of it. And if I knew more Hebrew, I'm sure I'd see a lot more. It's pretty cool if you really read carefully and see what, what he's doing here. But it starts out with, do not urge me to leave you or return from following you. And then it ends with, May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me to you, uh, from you. So that's the beginning of the chiasm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that, but that's good, yeah. So it comes from saying, do not urge me, may the Lord do so. So he, she's addressing Naomi and Yahweh. And she's saying that nothing will part her. That's the beginning of it. Then there's a location. She's going to be where Naomi's going to be forever and ever and ever, and nothing will stop that. So where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge is one part of the structure there. And then the other part that matches that is where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. And then in the middle, the important part maybe to think about, in the original language, and I, I don't like to talk about the original language because first of all, I don't, I, I mean, I know a lot about it, but I don't know enough about it. It can be dangerous. But I was looking at this when I was doing the translating. I thought, this is interesting. It just says, your people, my people. Your God, my God. It's very staccato, like boom. And this is the middle, this is the point of the chiasm. And she's, she's, she is identifying with Yahweh here. She's clinging to Yahweh as she clings to Naomi. It's kind of cool to, to think about that. Now listen also what's in this. So somehow Ruth had heard of Yahweh. Um, we're, I don't know how, but she, she knew about Yahweh. And she knew enough about Yahweh to know about God's covenant promises, it appears. Consider her statement. So what is in her statement that mirrors some of God's covenant promises to Abraham, to Israel? Is anybody? I will be your God and you will be my people. Charlie? people. So I will be your God. You will be my people. And there's kind of a third one. And we're t- when we're talking about Moab and Bethlehem, what is that talking about? It's physical and earthly and a patch of dirt. Land. God, people, and land. 
Consider Genesis 17, the Abrahamic covenant. God says, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. And by the way, multitude of nations. And Ruth is from that multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. Interesting. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. So we have the, I will be your God, there's the land promised, and the offspring, the people. Yes. Yeah, I have an idea. At least ten years. <laughs> yeah. The um. Thank you. Yeah. So yeah, they weren't just in Moab for a short amount of time, and this this will be important getting into the book of Ruth and seeing Obed born. Another thing the author of Ruth does actually, and thank you for bringing this up because it's really. An interesting point that I didn't bring out last week, just to keep in mind. The author kind of opens with something, and then way downrange, and like you'll say something in chapter 1 that connects to something in chapter 4. It's pretty neat. And one of the things that happens in God's providence, and as God writes this in, for, in Scripture for us, we see that they were there for 10 years after, after they were married to the Moabite women, Ruth and Orpah, in... Uh, they remained there, but Elimelech died in verse 3. And then they took Moabite wives, her two sons, and they lived there about 10 years in verse 4. And in all that time, there was barrenness. So just consider that. And then when we get to chapter 4, we'll come back to that because Boab marries Ruth, God visits them, and they have a son. And it's kind of cool to see what, what's happening there. But thank you for that, yeah. So they've been there a significant amount of time. And so Ruth has had opportunity to pick up on some of the language, hear some of the words, and God has used what she has heard, evidently, to bring her to himself. So you know, Ruth's response is not what, what an earthly and worldly response would be. She doesn't go after the riches of this world or the temporary things of, of this life, like having bread, because you eat bread and then... I mean, a couple hours later, you're hungry again. And, and ultimately, those things can't satisfy. And Ruth knows that. And she's clinging to an empty and barren widow because of Yahweh, because of God's covenant promises. So Ruth provides a contrast to Naomi in her outlook on God's providential care. When Naomi sees what God is doing, what is her response? Emptiness, barrenness, and what, what is her name at the end of the chapter? We see her saying, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Yeah, which means bitter. So let's move into looking at Naomi's response. Thinking about Ruth's response and clinging to the covenant promises of God. Does anyone have any questions there, by the way? Okay. 
I wanted to talk about rest real quick. I forgot that in my notes here. Rest. Look in verse uh, 8. Naomi says to her daughters-in-law, Go return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as, as you have dealt with me and with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Okay. Thinking of the whole Bible, where do we see this idea of rest? Does anyone have some scripture? Just Hebrews. Okay, what's it say in Hebrews? Mm-hmm. Yep, that Israel would enter the rest, or that disobedient Israel, he swore, would not enter his rest. That's what I was thinking of Hebrews 4. Hebrews 4, yep. Yep. Jesus says, I will give you rest. Yes, yep. How about uh, Yeshua, Jesus in the Old Testament, the book of Joshua? Anyone recall that, where they have rest after after defeating their enemies and being um, located in the land? They have rest. They've entered the land of rest from their enemies. Now Naomi blesses her daughters-in-law and sends them to find rest. Where? Where's that? The house of her husband. Where? Where would that be located? Now, would it be Judah? Moab. Yeah, Moab. Yeah. Ruth is seeking rest in God's promised land. Naomi is seeking to send them to find rest in a cursed, with a cursed people. Think about that. And then think about where rest comes from, too, by the way. God's rest comes, like we see in the book of Judges, because God is king over his people. Yeah, she is returning. Yeah. Yeah, why not stay? Yeah. Here, I'm going to write that down, and, and if we have time, we'll come back to that because that's a good question to think about. And we might see it here as we look at Naomi's response. Um, let see. Yeah. Yeah. So So relatives in Judah and she heard that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. Yep. So the question is her motivation. So I wrote that down if we have time we'll come to that cuz that's a good that's a good discussion question. But let's consider Naomi's response, and perhaps that'll help um, flesh that out a bit. So as we read through this chapter, 
this section. Guess how many times the word return is used, by the way? Just the, the, the basic verb of, for return. Does anyone, just put a hand up or two hands up if you have a rough guess. Five, okay. A lot, yeah. It's used a lot. So return, 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 and then the word turn back, turn back. And then at the end in 22, we see return again. The author is, is highlighting that something's going to happen here. It's big. I just wanted to point that out. And so the story that begins with, a, with this tragic exodus into a cursed place is giving us some anticipation of maybe a reversal of some circumstances. So, but what has happened to Naomi? Come bitter, become empty. Her husband has died. Her sons have died. She has no hope. She She was left a widow, destitute, has to scrape out a living there in the land of Moab. And in Israel, at least there's provision in the law, whether they kept the law or not, for the widow to be looked after. So at just the right time, God has brought food to Bethlehem. She's heard of it just at the right time for her because of her widowed status. And we, so we see the providence of God there at work. God is working to bring her back to Judah, even though we can't tell exactly what Ruth's motivation for going back was. This is what happened as she came back to Judah. So what's the spiritual state of Naomi right now? Let's look at here. Consider that blessing she gave her daughters-in-law, that they would, the Lord would grant, in verse 9, that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then, the, then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept, and they said, no, we want to return with you to your people. But then she convinces Orpah to leave her. What is Naomi telling them? <clears throat> we talked about this. So she's sending them back to Moab to find rest? In verse 15, she says, go back. Yeah. Follow your sister back to her gods. Yeah. yeah. It looks to me like Naomi, just reading the text, that she has some spiritual question marks. Yeah. Yeah. Naomi's complaint to her daughters-in-law is in verse 13 there at, that the hand of the Lord has come out against her. That the Lord is arrayed in battle against her. Again, an indicator of her spiritual state. The child of God may feel that way at times, but the child of God is not that way and should not feel that way. The Lord has promised to be on your side. And um, he is on our side. Should not, would, no. And the Lord uses these things to bring his children through that back to himself. Yeah. Should is a whole lot different than what we did. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's very true. No. Yeah. Yep. So Naomi's complaint there is it manifests her attitude in the situation where she sees God is coming to battle against her. She accuses God of coming against her, and we see, see we see that in the statement to Orpah and Ruth, and then later, as they come into Bethlehem, the women say, "Is this Naomi?" 
And she said, do not call me Naomi. Call me, which means pleasant. Call me Mara, which means bitter or bitterness. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. Now, she mentions the name of the Lord twice, which is Yahweh, and then Almighty, which is Shaddai, uh, twice. But four times she's saying, this is fourfold complete. This is what the Lord is doing to me. I went away. The Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full in the Lord. Yahweh has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when Yahweh has testified against me? And the Almighty has brought calamity upon me. Yes, John. Yeah, it was like they were a buzz. Yeah, they left Paul, and it seems like they were really excited to see her return, and then shocked when they didn't, I think it says they didn't recognize her. Or, uh, they say, is this Naomi? Yeah, is this Naomi? Yeah, they don't say, is this Naomi, and who is this, do they, by the way? No. Just, yeah. Could be. Could be they were just really excited to see her come back. Tim? Yes. Yes. I don't know, did she? And you notice she says, I went away full, not my husband dragged me away full. So it's, that's interesting that she doesn't bring Elimelech into it. She, it's, it's between me and Yahweh. It's not, yeah. It's a good question. The males die. The males yeah. die. It's not like she's free from judgment. She, she feels the bitterness herself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She doesn't die. She doesn't die. She doesn't die. And why? Why doesn't she die? That's what's cool about the book of Ruth is is what how God uses this. I mean, the yeah. husband leading the wife. Yeah. The husband pays the ultimate price. Yeah. He loses his life. The wife bears that load of judgment, even as the husband is the one who's killed. Yeah. Sin always has a consequence. Yeah. If it isn't you, it's usually someone Yeah. So do we, uh, uh, do we ever question God and think he's coming out against us? Uh, uh, I mean... How often do we think that we maybe would have chosen to do something different? Why did you do this, Lord? Why did you cause my son to die? Why did you give me this job that I hate? You know, Ted Turner had a situation like that. (laughs) He grew up in the church, in the Episcopal Church, and he was going to become a missionary. And his sister got sick, and he prayed and prayed an hour every day just for her death. 
Yeah. And that's where he's lived the rest of his life. Yeah. All of us have those experiences. Yeah. God works. Yeah. So remember, God's loving kindness was not something that Naomi had forgotten about, by the way, speaking of her being bitter, in that she blesses her daughters-in-law with, and that word loving kindness is is (coughs) chesed. It's the covenant love set upon of God set upon His people, and and Naomi blesses her daughters, and and she tells him, um, "Where is that here? Oh, I lost it. Verse nine. Grant that you find rest. May the Lord deal kindly. In verse eight, deal kindly with you. That's that. <laughs> it's a messy word to pronounce. <laughs> I said, yeah. yeah. Thank you, Brian." So Naomi, she's not unaware of the loving kindness of God that God has promised, but is she is she taking that to herself and looking to that for hope? No, she's not. And that's kind of how we uh, tend to go, is we tend to focus on the wrong things. We tend to focus inward on ourselves and not think in terms of God's good hand of blessing that is on his people ultimately as he brings us into a glorious new creation in Christ Jesus, right? We we don't deserve any of this life that we experience, bad or good. In ourselves, we deserve the, the wrath of God coming upon us eternally. And yet God preserves us and sanctifies us to bring us to this glorious new creation. So our king is on his throne and he rules for us to protect us and bring us into his rest. And we need to be told that. And what are some famous passages in the Bible that talk about this? Does anyone have a favorite? About the Lord being king right now. About the idea of um, our suffering and yet looking forward to. Yes. Jeremiah Lamentations 3. The first 20 some verses, you know, Lord, you crushed me, you broke my bones, you left me in despair. Uh-huh. And this I recall to mind, and therefore I have hope. Your mercies are new every morning. You have hope. Yeah. Jeremiah 3 and Lamentations. Lamentations 3. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And we see the apostle. Apostles write about this. I was thinking the book of Hebrews uh, is one I wrote down here. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And then there's that great passage. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My sons, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. Nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. That's Hebrews 12, 3-7. So in our fallen condition, we need to be reminded of these things. That God is working for our good. And Naomi, it seems, has forgotten this. And what is Yahweh's response as Naomi accuses Yahweh of coming out against her in in the book? And I thank Pastor Bet for asking me this question, too, a while back. 
Three main question. What is Yahweh's response as we look at this chapter one, the, especially the end of chapter one, where Naomi accuses him again? Patience. Why do you say patience and long suffering? God is patient and long suffering with his children. Yeah. And and how do you come to that conclusion here? Uh, well, just the fact that well sometimes God says judgment judgment immediately. Yep. And he doesn't do he's not Yeah. He is silent. He doesn't answer, right? He doesn't answer, and yet, what do we see? But he did, though. He did, because she did return. Yep. One, she did return. She returned at the right time of year where there was barley being reaped, and then it set all of that up that was coming you know, for Boaz and all, all that blessing. So it's there. She's under the surface. She returned, the Lord brought barley, she returned with Ruth, the Moabitess, which, wow, that's weird. Charlie? Silent and yet working. Yeah. yeah. So uh, consider this idea of silence against one's accusers and yet working to bless the accuser. Does anyone have a, an illustration for that? Here comes the softball. <laughs> yes, Rex. Yeah, God calling Ruth, to, yeah, to Himself. If yeah, 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 one way. Yep. Yeah, silently working to bless, even though accused. Softball. As the sheep are silent during the shearing. Sure, yeah. So he opened not his mouth. Yeah, Isaiah 53. Yes. And then, Brian. Genesis 3. Genesis 3. Tell me about Genesis 3. For for example, are you talking about when Adam says, it's the woman you gave me? Yeah. The serpent did it. The woman... You made, you made this serpent. You made this woman. Yeah. And then, of course, Christ. 
is reviled. He is accused by Pilate, and Pilate's bewildered when he doesn't answer the accusations. And yet he redeems those very people who are accusing him. The book of Job. The arrows of the Almighty are like poison in me. Yeah. 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 That's a great ending point, Gary. Thank you. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the book of Ruth, and we thank you for um, the discussion we've had here, and we pray that you would um, impress it upon our minds. May we know your truth and know your Son, Jesus Christ, through it. In his name we pray. Amen.